Hello and welcome back to the Annick Castle podcast. I'm Daniel Watkins and I am joined today by a new co-host. She's our head guide here at the castle. It's Deborah Beecroft. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you very much. And yourself? I am all right, thank you. Excited Good. to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. We've got some really interesting things coming up over the next few months, some really interesting parts of the castle history. Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing what you've come up with. Well, on this episode, we are going back to the 5th of November 1605 and the story of the gunpowder plot through one of its main conspirators, Thomas Percy, the constable of Annick Castle. The research for this episode of the Annick Castle podcast would not have been made possible without the fantastic book by Antonia Fraser, The Gunpowder Plot, Terror and Faith in 1605, the archival work of Colin Shrimpton, undertaken for the 400th anniversary of the plot in 2005, and the writing of Mark Nichols. This is a story full of drama, intrigue and violence, so we hope you enjoy it. So who was Thomas Percy? Thomas Percy was born in Yorkshire in 1560 and was a distant cousin of Henry, who became the ninth Earl of Northumberland in 1585. They shared a great-great-grandfather. Thomas's father was a country squire, but he was proud of his Percy ancestry. Thomas and the Earl were similar ages, and while they weren't well known to each other as young men, both had been reckless and adventurous. Thomas once wrote to his cousin about the errors and idle vanities of my youth. One source claimed that in his youth, Thomas relied much on his sword and personal courage and enjoyed being among foul-mouthed people. Thomas would have been a recognisable man physically. He was well-built, very tall and had a streak of white blonde hair. He was energetic. Historian Antonia Fraser noted that he had a tendency to sweat and used to change his shirt twice a day, giving much labour to his laundresses. He was described by one contemporary source as a subtle, flattering, dangerous knave. And more recently, by former Annick Castle archivist Colin Shrimpton as a man of great mood swings, there is an underlying feeling that he was up to something. Thomas as Constable of Annick Castle. The job of Constable of Annick Castle meant becoming an official at the highest level. The Constable was directly responsible to the Earl of Northumberland and would be the Earl's most important representative in the North. Thomas was made Constable in the mid-1590s. The fact he was a Percy was probably an advantage, and Thomas had served with the previous Earl of Northumberland, but this would not have been the only reason for getting the job. Henry was looking for someone active and high-profile to take on the position. This was a time of border conflict between England and Scotland, and one of Thomas's first acts of constable was to make sure the tenants of Annick were equipped with helmets, shields, pikes and horses so they could defend against Scottish attack. He also had to make sure Annick Castle had enough brewing, kindling, horse fodder, bedding and various other supplies. However, Thomas was suspected of an alliance with Scotland several times. One of his servants, a man called Davidson, was accused of joining with Scotland and Thomas himself was alleged to have sold the bell of Walkworth Castle, eight miles south of Annick, to the captain of a Scottish ship. Most of Thomas's time as constable appears to have been spent on horseback, travelling around the Earl of Northumberland's territories, chasing thieves and collecting rents. He would write regularly to the Earl, who seems to have trusted him, surviving letters see Henry calling Thomas my trusty and well-beloved cousin. By 1602, however, the Earl's other officials were also writing to him to complain about Thomas's behaviour. 
Complaints included the unjust imprisonment of tenants within Annette Castle, taking bribes, charges of dishonesty, and many cases of interfering in matters that did not concern him. Antonia Fraser argues that Thomas must have been an intelligent man, as otherwise Henry would not have continued to rely on him. This is supported by the fact that Thomas was the man chosen to go on a secret mission to the court of King James VI of Scotland on behalf of English Catholics. A royal messenger. Thomas made multiple journeys across the border, returning with probably exaggerated claims that James had made assurances of Catholic tolerance once he became king in England too. Under Queen Elizabeth I, Catholics had been subject to many years of persecution, and while the Ninth Earl was not Catholic himself, he hoped for increased tolerance of private Catholic practices when the new king took the throne. This hope was shared by his cousin Thomas, who was a Catholic, and who appears to have returned from Scotland with a strong sense of optimism for the future. Unfortunately for Thomas, and for his fellow Catholics, the verbal promises King James may have made were never written down or made official, nor were they kept once he became the English king in 1603. James made the Earl of Northumberland captain of the gentlemen pensioners, a select group of bodyguards who attended the king on ceremonial occasions. One of the perks of the role was that as captain, the Earl could appoint new bodyguards, and Thomas Percy was one of the people to which he gave this important role. Becoming a gentleman pensioner meant swearing an oath of loyalty to the king. Thomas was never made to do so by his cousin, and this would not be forgotten after the gunpowder plot, and Thomas's part in it was uncovered. Getting involved with gunpowder. On the 20th of May, 1604, Thomas Percy met with Robert Catesby, Thomas Wintour, Jack Wright and Guido Guy Fawkes at the Duck and Drake pub in London. It is here where the gunpowder plot to blow up King James, other members of the royal family and the Houses of Parliament is considered to have really begun. Thomas was a key part of it from this point on. Star Chamber, the official court based in the Palace of Westminster at the time, later described him as one of the principal conspirators in this abominable treason. The plotter's plan, if successful, was for the king's young daughter Elizabeth to be installed as monarch, overseen by a protector or regent who would be sympathetic to Catholics. Many believed the ninth Earl of Northumberland had to be the most obvious candidate for such a role. Though there's no evidence he was ever approached about it, he did have many of the qualities required. He had a high social status and was generally well respected. While not Catholic himself, he had some level of sympathy for their cause, and he was connected to Thomas as both his cousin and his employer. By spring 1605, plans had progressed, and Thomas had secured the lease on a room in Westminster directly under the House of Lords in preparation for Parliament, opening on the 5th of November that year, the date selected by the plotters to enact their plan. Guy Fawkes, using the name John Johnson, stayed there to oversee the storage of wood and gunpowder, which was transported to the room over the following months. November 1605. Thomas Percy arrived in London at the beginning of November, after collecting various rents in the north. On the 4th, the day before the opening of Parliament, he met and ate with the 9th Earl of Northumberland at Sion House, one of his London properties, which you can hear all about in episode 10 of the podcast. We don't know exactly what they spoke about, It is likely that they discussed the latest developments in the North, but did Thomas also inform his cousin what was going to happen the next day? Or, as Antonio Fraser suggests, was he trying to establish if the King's Privy Council, of which the Earl was a member, 
had heard rumours of the plot. Whatever Thomas's motives were for visiting, the meeting at Sion and what may have been said there would go on to cause huge problems for the Ninth Earl. Whether Henry was involved or not, and as Mark Nichols of Cambridge University notes, he had travelled into London that evening and his robes had been prepared for attending Parliament on the 5th, so it seems he was not, he was now implicated. Evidence given against the Earl in the court proceedings following the plot's discovery state that Thomas went to Sion and then had secret conference with the Earl, and at 11 o'clock that night, Percy sent one other of the said traitors with a clock or watch unto Fawkes. This watch was delivered to Guy Fawkes by Thomas for correctly timing the lighting of the fuse that would in turn lead to the gunpowder's explosion. What Thomas didn't know is that the area around Parliament had already been searched and the suspicious amount of firewood in the room he had leased had been noted. When the owner of the property told the search party Thomas Percy was his tenant, suspicions increased. Thomas had his own accommodation in London, and neither he nor the Earl would need so much firewood at Westminster. The search party went back late at night on the 4th of November, and Fawkes was captured, though he said he was John Johnson, servant of Thomas Percy. The gunpowder plot was discovered and stopped, but that was not the end of the story. What happened next? The first warrant for arrest as a result of the plot was for Thomas Percy, the only man other than John Johnson known to be involved. He and the other plotters fled London. By the 7th of November, other names had been revealed to the authorities, including Robert Catesby and Thomas Wintour. Meanwhile, the Earl of Northumberland had been placed under house arrest. Thomas and his co-conspirators made it as far as the West Midlands, where they and their pursuers began a fatal gunfight. Thomas and Catesby were both killed by a single shot, the bullet travelling through one man and into the other. Thomas's head was later cut off and taken to London for display. When news of the plot and his involvement in it reached the region where Thomas had been constable, one man, George Whitehead from Tynemouth Castle, proclaimed, I wish to God he had never been born. Thomas was dead, but the Earl was still under suspicion. Nichols states that several noblemen with known connection to the plotters were arrested, and Henry Percy was one. He was questioned at Lambeth before being transferred to the Tower of London by the end of November. There were valid reasons for Star Chamber to suspect his involvement. He had been sympathetic to the Catholic cause in the past. He'd employed and was related to Thomas Percy. Thomas had met with him at Sion on the 4th of November. While the plotters were fleeing, the Earl had seemed less concerned with Thomas's capture than whether he would steal recently collected rents on the way, and finally, that he had appointed Thomas a gentleman pensioner, allowing him to carry a weapon in King James's presence without having sworn any oath of loyalty. Star Chamber's report stated that the Earl did either maliciously or negligently prefer Thomas Percy, an obstinate papist, into the King's service to attend as a pensioner, and put an axe of defence into his hands that had formerly sworn to kill the king. To this the Earl answered that he had trusted him long and knew no ill in him in that time. In the Earl's defence, he could point out that he'd made arrangements to attend Parliament. Unfortunately, Thomas, who could have provided an alibi for his cousin, or corroborated their conversation at Sion, was now dead and unable to clear Henry's name. While nothing was ever proven against the Ninth Earl, the suspicious circumstances seemed to have been too numerous 
and at his trial in 1606, he was fined £30,000 and sentenced to imprisonment in the Tower. He would spend the next 15 years there, but in a more comfortable condition than many other prisoners. Favourite wines and food like lamprey pies were delivered to him from Sion. He spent large amounts of money on fine clothing. He kept a library in his cell, as well as building a laboratory for his alchemy experiments and a schoolroom for his sons. He could ride his horse and go for walks. He even had access to a bowling alley. He also set up a counting house for his auditors just outside the tower and could survey and map his lands and manage his estate from prison. The money for the fine was raised and with the help of his son-in-law James Hay, who was desperate to win the Earl's favour after he disapproved of Hay marrying his daughter Lucy, was released in 1621. The 9th Earl of Northumberland was confined to the south of England and never again visited Annick Castle. The castle's constable was not only dead, but a traitor and a would-be kingslayer. As the Earl's brother Jocelyn put it, there is seldom treason without a Percy. So that is the story of Thomas Percy, the gunpowder plotter of Annick Castle. Not exactly a good advert for Annick Castle or the family at the time, is it? I, he didn't do a lot of favours for the reputation, particularly for the Ninth Earl. No, but at least he had a bowling alley. He did have a bowling alley. He had a library in there as well. So, you know, as far as the Tower of London goes, it's about as good as you could get while still being in the Tower of London. Yeah, it could have been worse. Do you think he was involved? Probably not, but I think he probably knew something. Based on the evidence, I think he was clever enough to have put some of the parts together and figure out that had there been a plot, had it succeeded, he would probably be in quite a powerful position. Yeah, but it also didn't seem like he was entirely bothered about what was happening politically. He was a bit more concerned about his magic. Yes, that's what happens when you're an alchemist, I think. We heard from Alchemy Jack uh, just in the last episode, and uh, alchemists do tend to have a focus on making things explode. Hopefully not with 36 barrels of gunpowder. <laughs> so that was our episode on the gunpowder plot and its connections to the castle. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, especially if you're listening on the 5th of November. If you did enjoy it, please let us know by tweeting us at Annette Castle or emailing podcast at annettecastle.com. Leave us a rating or review if you can, and please share the Annette Castle podcast with your friends. We'll be back in two weeks with a look at another part of the castle's history. Until then, thank you for listening. I've been Deborah. I've been Daniel, and goodbye. Bye.